0: Did any of you happen to lose power recently? Yes, some of you? We aren't the only ones who have experienced some bad weather. Last month, California, Southern California in particular, experienced torrential rainstorms. And as most of you know, all of my family uh, lives in Southern California. And when my brother Dave built his home several years ago, he put in a large pipe to move water from the top part of his property down to the lower part. Dave has, a, has about four acres out there in Valley Center, and at the top of his property he has a catch basin which uh, collects all the water that runs off from his neighbor's property and his property, and then that pipe sends it all the way down to the bottom of his property where it then is let out. Well, this past month during the intense rainstorms, Dave noticed something. He noticed that at the top of his property, the catch basin, it was collecting water and it was filling up. And at first, Dave thought it was because there was so much water due to the intense rain. You know how like sometimes when it's raining really hard, your gutters are overflowing? It's just because the volume is too much. At first, that's what Dave thought. Yet when he went down to the end of his property, at the bottom of his property, at the end of that pipe, there was just a little trickle... Coming out of the pipe. So tell me, class, if the amount of water coming out of the pipe is not equal to the amount of water going into the pipe, what does that mean? The answer is not Jesus. What is that? But what does it mean? It's clogged. That's right. Right? That there's evidently a clog somewhere in the pipe because the pipe has been designed so that the output would match the input. Now, have, have you ever had a clogged pipe or some kind of drain in your home before? Yes? It is never good. <laughs> Amen? It is never good when the output doesn't match the input. And you know what, Christian? Christian? This is especially true when it comes to the Christian life. This morning we return to our study of Ephesians. And as we've noted previously, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, marks a turning point in the book of Ephesians. For after expounding upon the glorious riches that God has bestowed upon Christians in Christ, which Paul articulated masterfully, in chapters one through three, in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, in light of all this, Paul then urges his words, not mine he urges all Christians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. That is, Paul wants the output of our conduct to match the input of all the blessings we've received through the Lord Jesus Christ, the very blessings he's elaborated on in chapters 1 through 3. However, the sad reality is, and I'm speaking for from my, from myself here as well, oftentimes our lives can be much like my brother Dave's pipe. Blessings have poured in, the riches have been bestowed. However, there's no corresponding change to the output. That is, our walk, our conduct does not match the weight and significance of our calling. So, here's the question. How do we get our output to match our input? That is, how can we, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can we then walk in a manner worthy of our calling? We can put it this way. What do we need to do so we don't get clogged up? <laughs> we'll turn within your Bibles to Ephesians 4. That's page 979. 78, rather in that paperback Bible. This morning, once again, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, with emphasis on verses 31 through 32. Because in this passage, I want to suggest, the Apostle Paul tells us how our output can match our input. He tells us what needs to be done. You know what the answer is? Change. Paul, in this section, we could summarize it. The main idea is this. He's like, if you want your output to match your input, then you need to change your behavior. You need to change your behavior for biblical reasons. Christian, for you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, Paul outlines five important changes you must make in your life. Here's the thing I know about Faith Community Church, and one of the things why... We missed you guys for two weeks. and We love coming back. I know as your pastor, your heart. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You desire to please Him. And Paul tells us, I want to suggest, in this text, how you go about doing that. There are five changes, and we've already looked at the first four. You recall we're to replace lying with truth-telling. We're to replace sinful anger with righteous anger. We're to replace stealing with work. And then the last time we were together, we're to replace corrupt talk with edifying speech. We're to build one another up. This is how we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Well, in our text this morning, there's one more important exchange the Apostle Paul calls us to make. And I'm going to just lay all my cards on the table and tell you, that as I've been praying for you this week, my prayer is that each and every one of us would give full effort, full effort to strive to not only understand properly what Paul is saying, but that we would also apply it, whether you're five years old or 95 years old. And and I'm so thankful for the children that are here, the older ones that are here in this service. Uh, Please, please take to heart what we're going to be studying. And I want to encourage you kids, if I can have all the kids' eyes, I'm giving you an assignment, okay? Your assignment is to quiz your parents about today's message. There's something I'm going to ask every one of us here to memorize, and I want you to lead the charge to ask your parents if they've done it, and by extension, you as well, okay? Okay, raise your hand, kids, if you're down with that. I Yes, raise, up. Ugh. Okay, good. All right, very good. Well, let's, let's dive in. Uh, if you haven't already, turn with me to Ephesians 4 and follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read... And again, I need to do this so I can see. Chapter 5, verses 4, or chapter 5, chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Paul writes this Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And now here are the two verses we're going to give attention to this morning. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. And Amen. This is God's good, good word for us. Uh, several years ago, the New York Magazine ran a, an article entitled Seventeen Things We Know About Forgiveness. This article journaled scientific facts they've come to discover about forgiveness. And you know what one of their top discoveries was, scientific discoveries was? This. Cats don't forgive. Does this surprise anyone? No. According to the article, listen to this. Scientists have observed conciliatory behavior in many different animal species who often follow confrontations with friendly behavior like embracing or kissing. The only species that has so far failed to show outward signs of reconciliation are domestic cats. Again, is anyone surprised by this? Especially those of you who who own a cat, it sounds like. Uh, It's not hard to imagine cats not forgiving. It's not hard to imagine. That's not surprising. But you know what should surprise us? Christians who refuse to forgive. You know why? Why? Because as Paul makes clear in verses 31 through 32, Christians are commanded by God to forgive. And here's the fifth change we are to make as Christians. We are to replace bitterness with forgiveness. We're to replace bitterness with forgiveness. Friend, I hate to break it to you, but you live exclusively among sinners. In your home, in your work, in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood, we walk exclusively among sinners. You know what that means? It means you are going to be sinned against. All of us. We are going to be sinned against. Indeed, we're going to be sinned against in some very hurtful and painful ways. You can't escape it. You're going to be sinned against. And perhaps even by someone in this room. And you know what bitterness is? Bitterness is the result of responding unbiblically to an offense. You see, Scripture likens bitterness to a root. Consider what we read in Hebrews twelve fifteen. The author says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, I'm no master gardener, but I do know that roots have to be what? Planted. Roots have to be planted. So let me ask you, what do you suppose is the seed that when planted in the soil of our hearts sprouts into bitterness? The answer is an offense. When someone sins against you, it's as if that person drops a seed of bitterness into the soil of your heart. That offense it just goes in there. And at that point, you have the choice. You can respond in two ways. You can either reach down and pluck up that hurt, pluck up that fen- offense by forgiving your offender Or you can just let it sit there and begin to cultivate that seed, water it, by reviewing the hurt over and over again in your mind. Bitterness is the result of dwelling on an offense, a hurt. Indeed, I I would invite you to consider that the very sins Paul lists there in verse 31, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, they are the symptoms of that come from a bitter heart. The other day I was at our local Kroger here in Prospect, and next to me in the aisle was a young mother with her toddler, a little girl. And in my hearing, I mean not very far from her, she instructed her toddler, "Don't touch my phone." What do you think the toddler did? She touched her mother's phone, and when she touched her mother's phone, she knocked it down on the floor. Guess how her mom responded. Even with me in the aisle, she blew up in anger. Indeed, and I'm not joking, there was much wrath, anger, and clamor. You know what clamor is, don't you? It's shouting loudly, vehemently. In fact, the way that she spoke to her daughter in the moment, there was even slander. You see, despite it being such a small offense, the mother's response was off the charts. And you know why? Because that mom had bitterness in her heart towards her daughter. I mean, is this not why parents, do we not, fly off the handle towards our children? This is why parents Their children have been literally sinning against them all day. And you know what? That's wrong. Yet instead of the parents forgiving them, they let the sinful offense germinate in their heart. So the next time, at even the smallest infraction, what comes out? An eruption, a volcanic eruption of anger, clamor, wrath, and slander. There's, there's bitterness there. And, and it's not just with, with kids and their parents. I would invite you to consider married couples. If you erupt in anger when your husband leaves his socks on the floor, I would suggest you have bitterness in your heart towards your husband. I'm allowing the offense to germinate in and outcome's Wrath, anger, and malice. And and I just want to just pause here for a moment and ask, Christian, is there bitterness in your heart? Perhaps even towards someone in this room? Do you keep a record of wrongs? Bitterness eulogizes the particularities of an offense. Is that true of you? Faith, you're commanded to put this away, to put bitterness away from you. It's to have no place in the Christian's life. And I'm going to say this again. I'm going to circle back to this. And I want you to notice this command is given with no qualifications, we are to put away bitterness, wrath and anger, malice, clamor and slander, regardless of what the other person does. And instead, we are to forgive. Look at it again verse 32. He says, you know, put all this aside and then verse 32 he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Faith, that little phrase there, I want you to look at it. Some of your translations have just as, or maybe you just have the word as. This means, listen, that Jesus is both the reason why you forgive, as well as the example of how you forgive. Forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. He's both the reason and the example. This is what I'm getting at when I say Paul's main point in this section is to change your behavior for biblical reasons. Faith, please hear me. This is really important. As Christians, we do not forgive others for our benefit. We do not forgive others for our benefit. Nowhere in Scripture do we read that we are to forgive our offender so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can lay our head down on the pillow at night and rest. Yet sadly, that is frequently taught. Many modern authors, even Christian authors, make forgiveness, it's about you. No. The biblical reason why we are to forgive is because Christ has forgiven us. Faith, please hear me. The Bible is not only concerned with what we do, but also why we do it. What you have to understand is that forgiveness, and we're going to hammer this home throughout this message forgiveness is for the offender. We're releasing them. Indeed, what is forgiveness? Uh, let me give you a definition of forgiveness. It's this: Forgiveness is a radical decision not to hold an offense against the offender. It's a radical decision not to hold an offense against the defender. When, when someone sins against you, a debt is created. You suffer some real kind of loss, be it reputation, innocence, and opportunity. You're going to lose something. A real non monetary debt is created. And you know what? It hurts. It's painful. And when you are sinned against, you have two choices and only two choices. You can either take payment on that debt or you can make payment. You take payment, that is you make the person pay in a variety of ways. You can withhold forgiveness. You can dwell on the wrong. You know, we can secretly root in our hearts that that person, you know, gets hit by a truck, like whatever it might be. We want to make them pay. We're going to take payment. Your other choice is not to take payment, but make payment on the other person's debt, releasing them from the penalties they deserve to pay. So, I have my phone. My son Noah wants to check the baseball scores or the Black Hawk scores, and he, him, he drops my phone into the toilet and it ruins the phone. Noah re- responds in tears. He says, I'm so sorry, Dad. And I say, I forgive you, but Noah, you need to pay for a new phone. Have I forgiven him? I'm making him pay. Noah, no, I forgive you. I'm going to absorb the debt myself. To forgive is I take the payment upon myself. You pay for the loss. And, Christian, please hear me. This is precisely what God has done for you in Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Because the Bible clearly teaches that we are sinners by nature and by choice. We aren't people who just make mistakes. No, our problem is much deeper. We have chosen to overthrow God's rightful rule in our lives by living for ourselves instead of our Creator. We've committed treason against God, and the Bible has a word for this, and it's sin. And friend, please hear me, this sin produces a debt we owe God. And you know what that debt is? You know what it is we've racked up? You know what the bill is? Death and eternal damnation in hell. This is the bill we've racked up due to our sin. And I just want to pause here for a second. If that judgment for our sin, eternal separation from God in hell, if that seems offensive or even out of balance to you, I invite you to consider this for a moment. Let me ask you, why is it that if someone says to the President of the United States, no matter who it is, who's in office, says to the President of the United States, I wish you were dead, why is that a federal offense? yet if you say the same thing to your friend, it's not a crime. Why is that? The the sin is the same. You're saying the same thing to your friend and the President of the United States. I wish you were dead, yet one of them is a crime. What's the difference? The difference is the value and worth of the person sinned against. In our country, no matter who it is, The President of the United States is a very valuable person in our government. So to wish him dead is a federal offense. You see, the more valuable the person, the greater the offense, and consequently, the greater the punishment. You're tracking with me? Yes. Friend, so it is with God. Whereas the President is a valuable person in our government, God is the most valuable person in the universe. When we sin, we're not just sinning against a person on earth, we're sinning against the holy God of heaven. We are, in effect, saying to God, I wish you were dead. I want to live for me, my own way, free from you, God. That's sin, and it produces a significant punishment. And rightly so. But friend, please hear me. Oh, please hear me. The good news of the gospel is that God has chosen not to take payment on your sin debt, but instead God has chosen to make payment by sending His Son to suffer and die on the cross for your sins. Amen? The good news of the gospel is that the debt you owe God has been absorbed. It's been paid in full by Jesus Christ on the cross. Friend, have you received this forgiveness? Have you owned your sin, confessed your sin to God, and gone all in believing that the work of Christ is sufficient to save you and to make you right with God? You see, Christian... Christians, please hear me. Jesus is the reason why we forgive. Christian, no one has or will ever sin against you more than the degree that you've sinned against God. We could say it like this. Forgiven sinners are to forgive sinners. Indeed, if we take the words of Jesus seriously... Nothing demonstrates that you have accepted God's forgiveness in Christ than when you forgive those who hurt you. Because, look, when friend, when you, when you refuse to forgive another Christian, when you refuse to forgive a fellow brother or sister in Christ, what you're saying to God is this, Listen, God, I know that Jesus died on the cross for what that person did to me, And that may be enough to satisfy you, but I require more. The death of Jesus Christ is not enough. It cannot pay for this. So die again, Jesus. What you did wasn't good enough to cover this this sin that this person has committed against me. They need your death on the cross, and they need the silent treatment from me. Or would we fail to forgive someone who isn't a Christian? You know what we're saying there? We're saying God's wrath is not enough. For the person who does not trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they will suffer the wrath of God for all eternity in hell. So when, so Christian, when you fail to forgive your unbelieving neighbor, what you're saying is this, is this person just doesn't need an eternity in hell. They need an eternity in hell plus me not returning their phone calls. That'll do it. Each time we refuse to forgive, we're saying to God, my pain is greater than the sufficiency of Christ. We forgive because God has forgiven us in Christ. Jesus is the reason why I forgive. Friend, rejoice in that. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven. However, Jesus is not only the example for how you forgive, or or not only the reason, he's also the example. He shows us what it practically looks like. And, And it's important to note that forgiveness is for sins. What I mean is, we oftentimes can carry a grudge against someone when they haven't sinned against us in any way. For example, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. When I was in college, we had a group project. And I had this great idea. And I go before the group and I present my idea. I mean, it was a home idea. It was, and it, that it hasn't been published yet is a crime to humanity. And I say, let's do this. And the leader of the group goes, yeah, great idea. But we're, we're going in a different direction. We're going to do this instead. And I was hurt. And I started thinking, they owe owe me an apology. No, they don't. Did did they sin against me? No. I just need to get over myself, right? What was wounded was my pride. Friend, please hear me. Forgiveness is for sins. Author and counselor Lou Perillo captured it best. He said this. Jesus said, if your brother sins... He didn't say, if he doesn't give you what you want, if he lets you down, if he hurts your feelings, or if he profoundly disappoints you. Your brother is not in need of your forgiveness unless he sins against you. And then he says this, if what your brother has done to upset you is not a sin, it may be appropriate for you to talk with him about the matter at some point, but not before you're thinking about the offense has changed. In other words, it's not your offender who must repent, but you must repent of your unbiblical thinking that took offense at something that God did not. I wonder how many of us walk around thinking we're owed an apology when actually we're the ones who need to repent. As Christians who have been forgiven by our sins in Jesus, We must forgive others. But here's a question I want us to consider that is very practical. What about the person who has not asked for forgiveness? Should I forgive them? This issue is actually raised in texts of Scripture. For example, if you're the note-taking type, Mark 11.25, in that passage, Jesus says this. He says, whenever you stand praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone. So it's your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So Jesus is saying, we are to forgive whether someone has asked for forgiveness or not. Whether they are sorry or for not. We are just to forgive. If, if we're standing there, if we're praying, and, and something comes to mind, oh yeah, this person has sinned against me. They haven't talked to me though. Jesus says, if you're standing there praying, Forgive. But then you have texts like Luke 17:3 through 4. Where Jesus says this, be on your guard if your brother sin, sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you 7 times a day and returns to you 7 times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. So you have these two teachings of Jesus. On the one hand, Jesus says if you're standing there praying and you realize there's a problem with your brother, then forgive him so that you'll be heard in heaven. And then you got this other text where Jesus says, forgive your brother when he repents, when he confesses, when he asks for forgiveness. So what do we do with this? Well, this is why it's best to think of forgiveness as both an action and an attitude. It's an action that transpires in relationship, and it's also an attitude we are called to cultivate in our hearts. So in Mark 11, Jesus is talking about forgiveness as an attitude that we cultivate in our hearts. When he says that if you're standing there praying forgive, the, the, the person's not around, are they? They're not nearby. They're not. Nearby. He says, when you're standing there praying, he says, forgive. He's saying, release that person from your anger, from your bitterness, from the penalty of your sin right there. I want to suggest he's talking about the attitude of forgiveness in our heart. The action of forgiveness is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 17, where we have someone who comes to us and asks for forgiveness. In that moment, we're to extend forgiveness, When someone asks us to be forgiven, when they confess their sin, we are to say, absolutely, I forgive you. Which I would argue is only possible at a level of depth if we have previously cultivated the attitude of forgiveness in our hearts. So when we put these two things together, I think we can conclude, this is, this is I invite you to, to be good brains and look at the scriptures yourself, but that we should cultivate an attitude of forgiveness in our hearts, whenever we realize that we have something against a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against us. However, I believe Scripture also teaches that we should not extend that into action until they have asked for forgiveness. So because we're cultivating the attitude of, whether it's because we confront them or because someone else confronts them, we would be ready immediately to extend that forgiveness we should not extend it until they've asked (coughs) and I want to say that we see both the attitude and action of forgiveness in our text this morning notice what Paul writes there in verse 31 this I want to say is the attitude of it regardless of what your offender says or does you're commanded to put away all bitterness wrath and anger and clamor and slander along with all malice full stop and then notice, this command to put away all bitterness, wrath, and anger, that precedes the next verse which commands us to forgive. Do you see that there? So in this text, we have the attitude of forgiveness and then the act of forgiveness in relationship. Okay. You're doing great, and we're, and we're, we're coming in here. But this is what I want, and this is where I need the kids. So kids, I need you to, to retune with me. Okay, here we are. Um, one of the things I, I love to do as a pastor is counseling, both marital and premarital counseling. And one of my favorite questions to ask couples is, what is forgiveness? And most often, th- these were exceptions, they did a great job, this couple here. That is what... <laughs> but most often, the couples look at me with, Glazed over eyes, like, well, you know, it's it's forgiveness. I'm like, yeah. Well, tell me, what does it mean to forgive? And they, and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have a hard time articulating what it means to forgive. I don't want that for us at faith. And this is where I want you kids to quiz your parents. I want to challenge us. We're going to look at forgiveness as four promises. I want to challenge us as a church to memorize these four promises, okay? Author Ken Sandy, I think, has correctly identified Scripture, how Scripture gives forgiveness in four promises. It's a decision to make four promises, and here's the first one. When you say that you forgive someone, you're promising first that I won't dwell on this incident, right? In Jeremiah 31:34, what does God say? God says, I will forgive their iniquity And their sin I will remember no more. Please hear me. This is not the same as forgetting. Forgetting is a passive process, letting a matter fade from memory over time. Forgiving is an active process involving a conscious choice and a deliberate course of action. I mean, when God says He remembers our sins no more, He doesn't mean He can't remember our sins. Rather, he's promising he won't remember them. Similarly, when we forgive, we must choose to draw on God's grace and consciously decide not to think about what someone has done to hurt us. Forgiveness isn't a matter of whether we forget but how we remember. At I, I, one time, I counseled a young woman who was sinned against in the most deepest, violating way imaginable. It was awful, and she was struggling with her offender. But she eventually told me, she's like, I have forgiven him. He he owned it. He forgiven him. And she says, God has helped me. She's like, there's no way I can forget what he did to me. It's too awful and terrible, but by God's grace, I am choosing not to dwell on it. And she's like, I'm free. Second, It's a promise that I won't bring up this incident and use it against you. Do we not celebrate the good news that in Christ there's now no condemnation for our sin? Amen? God, Christian, does not accuse us of our past sins. But you know who does? Satan. There's a reason why Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12.10. Satan loves to make Christians feel guilty by reminding them of their past sins. He brings up past sins and tries to use them against us. But friend, that's not what God does. Christian, when you bring up a past sin and use it against someone, you know who you're following in the footsteps of? Not God, Satan. It's demonic. I had, a, I had a friend who, he went on a, a, a church retreat with staff, and this church staff, they're experiencing all sorts of problems on the staff. And so one of them just decided around the campfire, they were going to just air out all their grievances to each other. What they didn't like, What irritated them? And my friend said, Aaron, it was the most demonic thing I've ever seen. Here were guys holding grudges, dwelling on offenses, and bringing it up and throwing it into each other's faces. All the while claiming that they'd forgiven We don't use it against it. So at a more lighter note, if, if your spouse forgets your anniversary, the next time you have an argument, you're not going to bring that up and use it against them, right? Okay? I'm not going to bring up the incident and use it against you. Third, it's a promise that I'm not going to talk to others about this incident. And this is hard. Because, look, when someone sins against us, we experience pain. And what do we want to do? We want to share our pain with others. But unless the person's part of the solution or the problem, Scripture calls us not to do that. When someone sins against us, are we to go talk to our parents? Are we to call up our mom? Are we to go talk to our small group leader? Or are we to go to the person who has sinned against us? Which one is it? The last one. Right? If, I've, if I've truly forgiven my co-worker for showing up late repeatedly and making my job more difficult. I'm not going to tell that to the other coworkers. And then the fourth is, I promise I'm not going to allow this incident to stand between us. Uh, last year, during the Little League World Series, I think it was Texas versus Oklahoma, uh, the pitcher hit A batter in the face. I don't know if you saw this. And it was, it was, you know, the air left the stadium. Everyone was concerned. It was terrible. The the batter just hit the ground. They got a medic out. And uh, it was not only terrible for the guy who got hit in the face, but the pitcher uh, was wrecked. He, he felt so bad that the ball got away from him and hit the batter in the face. In fact, he was so distraught over this, he, he couldn't get his composure to face the batter. He was standing on the mound sobbing and crying. So you know what the batter did? He took off his helmet, he left first base, and he went up to the pitcher's mound and he hugged the pitcher. There wasn't a a dry eye in the place. But you know what that that batter was doing? He was saying, I forgive you, and, and I'm not allowing this to get in the way of our relationship. I forgive you. This I want to suggest is often where most people stop, though. They won't dwell on it, they won't bring up the incident. They're not going to talk to others, but they still want to keep arm's length from the person who has hurt them. Yet in a powerful way, that little leaguer little going up and hugging him is what we're called to do because that's how we've been forgiven in Christ. What does God do for us in Jesus Christ? 1 Peter 3.18, he says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Is it not good news that Jesus says, I forgive you, but stay here, you sinful, filthy Christian? No, he welcomes us. He says, I'm not going to allow your sin. Jesus paid it all. I'm not going to allow this sin to stand between our relationship. Faith, these four promises show us what forgiveness looks like in real life. And I want to challenge us to memorize them. Kids, challenge your parents to memorize them. Kids, memorize them. Kids, practice this with your siblings. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I work for a non-profit organization. <laughs> but I'm going to suggest, and I'm going to make a profit. I bet you someone in your family is going to sin against you this week. And when they come to you and say, what I did was wrong, will you forgive me? You're to forgive. And this is what you're to do. You're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to bring it up. You're not going to talk to your other siblings about it. And you're going to give them a hug and say, this isn't going to come between us. Corey Ten Boom was imprisoned with her family by the Nazis for giving aid to the Jews in World War II. God sustained Cory during her time in the concentration camp. However, although Corey, was, Corey made it out alive, her elderly father and beloved sister died as a result of the brutal treatment they received in prison. And after the war, she traveled the world testifying to God's love. And one time, right after she spoke in a German church on the topic of forgiveness, she saw the prison guard who kept watch at the shower room in the prison. He was the first of the actual jailers that she had seen since that time. And immediately, when she saw the man, all the terrible, painful, humiliating unspeakable memories came rushing back. And although she immediately recognized him, although she recognized him, he did not immediately recognize her. Well, after the talk, when the church was entering, he came up to her. And he said, you mentioned the concentration camp in Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. He says, I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? He then thrust out his hand to shake her. And Corey writes this, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my home being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. She says this, and I conclude with this. She writes, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hand the former guard, the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Faith, may we too deepen our knowledge of God's love for us as we forgive others. Let's pray.